life for many? Do we really commemorate him at Christmas? Just before Black Friday came to be known as Black Friday, around a decade earlier, there were five big banks that controlled just about everything financial. And a man named Paul Mazur from the Lehman, Lehman Brothers, one of the big five, wrote this. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things even before the old has been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. You've heard that before. This is considered the birth of consumerism, not capitalism, consumerism. And I would say, based on what you see on Black Friday, they have succeeded. Correct? They have succeeded. Christians and much of the world have celebrated and commemorated the birth of Christ, Christmas, imperfectly, to be sure, imperfectly, but they have celebrated that from not long after the death of Christ until around 50 years ago. And then things began to change. Okay. Christmas commemorates the birth of a baby in Bethlehem, born of a virgin in Judea. Today, that's Israel. And this event is recorded in Matthew and Luke. That's the New Testament. It's also recorded in the Old Testament. It's prophesied. This is important. Therefore, the Lord God himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. This baby, Emmanuel, means God with us. This is, of course, Jesus. This is the Christ. This is our Savior, the Son of God. And this birth, until very recently, was considered incredibly significant. Maybe the most significant event in the history of history. But times are changing, right? Indeed, times have already changed. Christmas is currently, well, it's been steamrolled. Nativity scenes are removed from government offices, government buildings, hospitals, public schools to, re- to be replaced with things like snowflakes and snowmen and snowballs and snow cones even, whatever. Hymns and Christmas carols are largely gone if they mention Christ or the birth or anything related to the Bible to be replaced with Uh, much of the nonsense that you hear nowadays. In schools, you're discouraged to say Merry Christmas. When I left the public school system a few years ago, I remember a Christmas where my next-door neighbor teacher came over, and she leaned into my room, and she scanned, no students, and then she looked out in the hallway and said, Merry Christmas. She was afraid of whatever would happen if someone heard that. Things have changed. Can you see it? Do you see it? Things have changed. The question is, why was the birth of this child considered so significant in the first place? Why is that? And why is it that Christmas is being viewed so differently 
today. What happened to cause this event, an event that so influenced the modern world to be slowly erased from people's thinking? Well, to understand the significance of the birth of this baby, you have to know the history that led up to the event. So I'm going to give you a crash course. Okay, It's going to be very quick. God creates Adam. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And he made Eve from one of the ribs, from the side of the man. What's something that, uh, what's something we have that Adam and Eve never had? Belly buttons. I knew you would say that. I knew it. Belly buttons. Ancestors. No ancestors. No parents. No aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa. Of course, God walked with them and talked with them in the garden. So if you don't have parents or grandparents, I think God's a good, you know, it's pretty good. Not too shabby, right? So God creates Adam. And then God guides and instructs his children. God's guidance The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God gave Adam and Eve free will, and us too. And he said, you can do any of this, but that one tree, stay away from it. And we all know what happened. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They failed. How many think they wouldn't have eaten the fruit if they were there? I just wonder. I just wonder. He gave them free will. He wanted them to obey and love him by their own choice. Because if you have to obey and you have to love, it's not real. If you have to obey. Right, Thomas? You have to obey or else. So God instructs them, avoid the tree. We know what happens. This event, this disobedience, here it is. It's the reason for the season. It's the reason we need a Savior. It's very important to know. If you don't know that, the season is meaningless and nonsensical. Now you might ask, uh, I have a question. Why do we have to pay for what they did because we didn't eat the fruit it's a good question adam was the first human he was the head of humanity and all humans descend from him we inherited his consequences for his sin paul said it like this when adam sinned sin entered the world Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone's sin. Adam and Eve's fall, their fall from this state of perfection, was humanity's first sin. And the consequence of sin is death, and it passes to all of their descendants. That's us. That's all of us. And it's hard, and it's tough. And you might even think, you know what, it's just not fair. But it's God's way. And he is sovereign. We don't have to understand it or agree with it. We just have to acknowledge it. We pay for what they did because we come from him and we inherit his nature, his sin nature. He sinned, we sin, and it's a shame. 
The story continues. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the instant they sinned, at that moment their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed together. What did they sew together? Fig leaves to cover themselves. I've never tried it. I don't think it would work too well. They knew they were naked. They knew it immediately. They knew their innocence was lost. They knew that they weren't perfect any longer. And they wanted to cover up. Don't we still do that? Do you think we inherit things from them? Don't we still cover up? If we have a blemish, we put makeup on, right? Not we, but you, you ladies. Some of, some men. We put layers on to cover up our body imperfections. We wear dark because it makes us look more slim. And, and when we come to church, we put on a facade to cover up what we're really feeling, right? If you ever work the front door, everyone that comes through, smiles and, and when I say, How you doing? Fine, I'm doing fine. Right? Someone just died in their family, their cars broke down, they lost their job, they're addicted, they're not fine. You know. We cover and we hide. It's what we do. But we can't hide our imperfections. We can't hide our, our unrighteousness from God. Our attempts to cover ourselves and to and to be good enough for God Here's what Isaiah says. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Our works cannot hide our sins. They can't take away our sins because our hearts are broken. We are all black-hearted sinners. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Jeremiah. What does the world tell us? Trust your heart. Follow your heart. Anybody ever get in trouble for doing that? Right? Don't do that. I'm telling you, don't do that. Follow your brain. And follow the Bible. Do not follow your heart. Back to the story. Adam and Eve sinned. God's not pleased. And if, if nothing else happened from that point on, if that was the end of the story, our lives would be a wreck. It would be terrible, miserable, and rotten because we'd be living in sin. We'd be stuck in sins until God mercifully let us die. And then we would spend all eternity wherever that is in that state. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story. But here's what Paul said. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he knew the answer. And the answer is God will. God will save him. The, he promised a last Adam. The last Adam. So in light of everything that we've heard so far. And you guys, we're in the earliest stage of humanity still. We're at the very beginning. There's two people on earth. We're still in chapter 3 in Genesis. God created the world. He puts two people here. Boom. We're already at this major crossroads. Okay? And God says something here right after this sin that sums up the whole rest of the Bible. 
the whole thing. Everything that happens from here on, he's about to summarize. And he also is about to give Adam and Eve hope. Are you guys ready for it? You want to hear what he says? Yeah? All right. And the cool thing is he's not even talking to Adam and Eve. He's talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he will uh, bruise your head. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Whoa. That doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? Does it sound Christmassy? Have you seen that on a Christmas card? Have you seen that for like a Coke slogan or anything like that? No, not at all. It doesn't sound Christmassy. What does it mean? Let's see what God tells us it means. He later clarifies in Genesis, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And then Paul, thousands of years later in the New Testament, clarifies even further. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So seed is a prophecy that God unleashes at the very beginning concerning the one who would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, conceived by God himself, the last Adam, the one who would correct the wrongs of the first Adam, Jesus. And that's it. That's what the whole rest of the Bible is about. And that's what Christmas is about. God restoring fallen man into a right relationship with himself. And it's important to know that. Isn't it fascinating how the Old Testament informs the New Testament? Have you ever heard anybody say, let the Old Testament interpret the New Testament? You ever heard that before? Well, give me five, man. All right, this one. That's right. Heard that a few times. So what's happening to Christmas? What is happening to Christmas? It's simple. Today, generations of young people are being taught at school, on social media, on television, that science trumps everything, that evolution is an undisputed fact, that the Bible is a myth, that truth is relative, that what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you. It's wrong. They're taught that the Bible is insignificant, that God is non-existence, that sin is a false concept. And finally, they're taught that the birth of Jesus is inconsequential, nonsense, meaningless. As a public former school, school teacher here, I've seen it again and again and again. The end result, my friends, the erosion of Christmas is the result of a precise and surgical attack on Scripture and on God himself by an ungrateful people. If, if the term ungrateful people sounds familiar, we've been studying the Old Testament. There are a few ungrateful people in there, right? Nothing new under the sun. So when all things are done, Christmas is over, 
and you're sitting in your lazy boy chair watching a football game, and your house is destroyed if you have kids, because that's what kids do. They destroy things. Or you're in bed that night, and you think to yourself, I wonder if God is pleased with how I commemorated his son's sacrifice this season. I wonder what he thinks about it. Is he pleased? And you're $5,000 in debt. You're still fighting with your neighbors and your parents. You didn't think about Christ the whole season. You didn't talk about Christ to anyone because that's not your gift. Then you need to come to next steps because we'll talk about gifts this week. If that's the case, I would venture to say no. God is not pleased. Offensive, right? I told you I would offend you. But here's the thing. We're talking about this now before this happens. So you can't be offended at something that hasn't happened yet. So you can't be offended at what I'm telling you. That's why we're talking about this now before it's too late at the beginning of the season. Do you want to commemorate the birth of Christ the right way? Do you want to be pleasing to God? Do you want God to look at what you and your family did at the end of the season and be pleased? If so, know the story. Know the story of Jesus coming to this earth. Number two, know why he needed to come. That's the historical part. That's Old Testament, Andy Stanley. That's Old Testament. You have to have the Old Testament. If you take this and you tear it in half and you throw away the old, the new doesn't make sense. You don't need a Savior if you don't have what happened in Genesis. Amen? Does that make sense? So know what's important. That's the God part. It's not you. It's not me. It's not presents and family. It's the God part. And teenagers, don't come to my house on Christmas morning because your parents didn't buy you any presents. So I'm not saying don't go to, uh, don't do Black Friday. Don't buy presents. Don't have parties. Do all of those things. But honor God throughout this process. Teenagers, can I get an amen on that? All right. Don't come to my house and don't blame me. I'm not telling your parents that don't buy you stuff. All right. Let me ask Blaine to come up. He's going to close us in prayer and just hang out up here with me for a minute. I like having a big old dude next to me to, to have my back. All right. I want you to visualize something with me. Imagine a worldwide virus. And on day 15, everyone on the planet is infected. On day 30, they will all die, the entire planet. And because of that, they test everyone. And the good news is they find a child who has the DNA that can save all of mankind. Praise God and amen. The problem is that the, the process of extracting that DNA is excruciatingly painful. and It takes a day, 24 hours. The other problem is that it's fatal. It will kill the child. Now, the child is willing to make the sacrifice. The child knows and even says, look, it's scary, but I need to do this to save everybody. The other problem is that that child is your child. So put a child in your mind as you're doing this, as painful as it is. 
Now, the good news is it works. And everyone who is inoculated, who chooses to receive the inoculation, is saved. And they're not only saved, but they're even better and stronger because they have a part of your child's amazing DNA in their system. And they celebrate. The whole world celebrates the sacrifice of your child. And it's a glorious thing. And it, and it doesn't make it better, but it takes a little bit of the sting off of what your child sacrificed. But over the course of time, things start to change. And people decide, you know, it's kind of a downer to go through to talk about all the negative stuff. I don't really want to celebrate with that child's name and everything. So, And then later, they start teaching the population that, you know, really, everyone wasn't saved. Some of those people that weren't inoculated, they died. So it didn't save everyone. And then they teach that, uh, you know, really it was the scientists and the doctors that came up with this inoculation. They saved people. And then they teach that, you know what, there really wasn't even a virus to start off with. It's a myth. There was no kid. There was no child. But we still want the holiday. right? We still want the parties and the presents and to have fun and the day off from work. We just want all that other stuff out of the way. Do you think... Well, let me ask you this. How would you feel about those people who were trampling over what your child did? <laughs> Smack them. Good kid. Do you think God feels any differently? Thousands of years later, do you think God feels any differently? You have two tasks for homework. Task number one, make sure everything you do from today on to the end of the season is pleasing to God. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. When you're, you know, when you're shoving that guy out of the way to get your television, you know, say a, say a prayer for him. When you're out to eat, when you're with your family, when you're with your neighbors on Christmas morning and, and at work, be pleasing to God. Ask that question to yourself. Is this pleasing to God as I'm cutting these four people off in traffic so I can get into Best Buy so I can get my new whatever? TV. Make sure everything you do is pleasing to God. This is kids too, all of you. Number two, share the story every chance you get. Now here's what I'm going to guarantee you. People will complain to you about Christmas starting now. You will have many opportunities to share the gospel message because people are going to say, I hate Christmas. I hate all this stuff. I can't stand it. I'll be so glad when this is over with. And you can just be a complete Bible nerd and say, oh, I love it. Well, why do you love it? They're going to ask you, why do you love it? Well, because Christ died for my sins. This is what we're commemorating. And here's why. Because in the Old Testament, we had these two people, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. They ate the fruit. And then, the, you know, all this other stuff happened. And God's been, been changing things and directing things so that Christ would come. That's what we're celebrating. Do it your own way. Be bold. They can't do anything to you. God is with you. Amen? All right. Pastor Ben, one thing that I have found in, in my walk, that God speaks to people in various ways, really one of two. It's either a still small voice or it's a two-by-four. <laughs> and this morning, I'm not sure if it was a still small voice or if it was a two-by-four because of the challenge. Uh, and 
as we get as we go into this Christmas season, um, it's important that we're all grounded. And you did that this morning. So thank you, Pastor Ben. Let us stand as we pray, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and uh, for everyone that came out and, and uh, struggled through the weather. Uh, but uh, what, a, what a message to hear, uh, to, be able, uh, to be able to go forth. Father, I pray that um, our hearts were opened and our minds were opened as, as we heard what you had placed on Pastor Ben's heart and, and brought to us and, and grounded us as we head into this season and we rem- remember why we, why we celebrate, and then the strength to be able to pass on that story in all the opportunities that we know that are laid before us. Father, watch over us now as we uh, leave here, and uh, keep us safe in our travels, and bring us back at the next appointed time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.